Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This is episode 40, and what an episode it will be as we talk about two of the most consequential games for the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, maybe not in their history, but certainly for this year. Today's show is being brought to you by DraftKings. It is playoff time with bigger stakes and bigger promotions. Every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part? It's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to Pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Glad you are with us for episode 40, a milestone. We got to 40 episodes. Pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, the Grizzlies play on. Uh, the last time that we visited, the Grizzlies had just beaten the San Antonio Spurs in the first play-in game, and that was a very, very tall task for them to go into Oakland. And, uh, oh, into Oakland, oh. I'm going back to the old days, going to San Francisco to take on the Golden State Warriors for an opportunity to be the eighth seed in the Western Conference. Lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, As per usual, we will start with that was the week that was, and we'll recap the last couple of games for the Grizzlies. One of them, an elimination game, the aforementioned game at Golden State, and then game one against the Utah Jazz. Uh, Some PD's points, and we'll bring you some podium sound from the post-game media session after Game 1 in Salt Lake City. Lots to get to, lots of opinions to share, so uh, let's get right to it with That Was the Week That Was. So the Grizzlies end up going to take on the Golden State Warriors uh, on Friday night, and this was a ball game that, frankly, when people asked me what I thought about it, I, I felt that the Grizzlies had an opportunity to win this game. They had a chance to win this game. Mentally, they are uh, resilient enough to deal with what would be a loud and raucous crowd, whatever size it was. It turned out to be about 7,500 people in San Francisco. I knew the Grizzlies mentally could deal with that. Uh, And I think that there was an element of confidence going into Chase Center because they knew that they had been there the previous Sunday and had overcome a 17-point deficit, had a fourth-quarter lead. If Dylan Brooks doesn't foul out, maybe the Grizzlies go ahead and they win that game, and then they're now playing the Lakers for the seventh seed, and things could have been entirely different. This was a game Grizzlies got off to a great start, Uh, and sometimes you worry about the Grizzlies getting off to a really good start and building a double-digit lead because sometimes they they have been known to lose leads. I mean, that's, that's, that's that's a verifiable fact. They've lost 12 double-digit leads in games this year. They would not lose it in this game, although it came very, very, very close. You know, Grizzlies in the second half. Uh, I mean, I mean, they're they're up 62 to 49 at halftime. 
And I know that I watched this game in the office of our producer, Scott Zachary, along with our sideline reporter, Rob Fisher. Brevin Knight was on the road with family. And we were kind of pinching ourselves. Like, could this possibly be happening to go into Golden State and to win this game with Steph Curry on the other side of the floor? Uh, the second half would become a real, real struggle for the Grizzlies. Crucial call with, I think, a minute 44 left. Jordan Poole shoots a three, extends his leg. Desmond Bain clips his leg. And the call on the floor was a defensive foul against Desmond Bain. Everybody who had any rooting interest for the Grizzlies was begging Taylor Jenkins to challenge this call. Taylor Jenkins turned to T.C. Swirsky, the Grizzlies video coordinator, looked at it on a tablet very, very quickly and decided not to challenge. Here's the ruling and here's the interpretation. Um, When an offensive player kicks out their leg, If the defensive player in the closeout, under normal circumstances, assuming that the offensive player doesn't kick out the leg, it's a no call. Desmond Bain was going by. The only reason that there was contact is because Jordan Poole stuck out his leg. Should have been an offensive foul. That was confirmed in the last two-minute report from NBA official. Should have been either an offensive foul or, in some cases, referees will go with a no call. Uh, Desmond Bain was not going to hit Jordan Poole. He was moving away from him. Should have been, like I said, either a no call or an offensive foul. Taylor Jenkins chooses not to challenge, and Poole hits three free throws. Grizzlies, fortunate that they were able to get this game into overtime. And then John Morant, Xavier Tillman, Desmond Bain deliver big play after big play. A lot of people criticize Taylor Jenkins for not challenging that play. Had two timeouts remaining absolutely nothing to lose in that case except a timeout you still had one with under two minutes remaining it wasn't going to be the last timeout and if he had won the challenge they would have kept the timeout and they would have taken the three points off the board and maybe we don't go to overtime in any event you may criticize Taylor Jenkins for not challenging that call but you have to I think, tip your cap to him because other than that, he pushed all the right buttons. Jaron Jackson Jr. was not having a particularly good night. He was just one of six from the floor. Down the stretch, Xavier Tillman was on the floor, and Jaron was not on the floor. Xavier Tillman, you know, 11 points, seven boards, three steals for him, and hit a couple of threes, including a big one out of the corner. Desmond Bain, double figures off the bench, had the dunk and the and one at the end of overtime to seal the deal for the Grizzlies, who go on to win it in overtime, 117-112. to 112. Big thing for the Grizzlies. They almost, well, I shouldn't say almost always win. They have a very, very good record, I should say, when they shoot better than 40% from three. They shot 43% from three. They shot as many threes, in fact, just one more than the Golden State Warriors, and they made three more. That was not a result that if if you were going into this game, you thought that the Grizzlies were actually going to make three more threes than the Golden State Warriors. Again, Curry got his. I mean, Curry got 39 points. It took him 28 shots, and he hit just six of 15 from three. Dylan Brooks, I think, held him to something like 6 of 15 shooting individually. Dylan only scored 14, 0 for 4 from 3, didn't get to the free throw line, did have five fouls. But the reality is his 14 points, big. His defense, I think, was even bigger. 
Uh, Jordan Poole with 19 off the bench. But other than that, Golden State did not go deep. They only played eight in this game. Uh, Michael Mulder and Juan Toscano-Anderson got minutes, but they only combined for eight points. Grizzlies bench, meanwhile, you get a dozen from Grayson Allen. And, oh, by the way, welcome back to Grayson Allen as he hit four threes in this game. This is one of the things about this Grizzlies team is that they are so deep and they have so many different weapons that on any given night it could be anybody's night. And Grayson Allen had as much of a hand in this victory as as anybody else because the Grizzlies got very little from Jonas Valanciunas. Just a really, really tough whistle for him all night long. Nine points, 12 rebounds. He fouls out in about 26 minutes. And if you would have told me before the game, Steph Curry goes for 39. Valanciunas only scores nine points. I'm starting to think that maybe we've got an issue here. John Morant was simply sensational down the stretch. 35 points for him. And John Morant, you could say that uh, he's the king of the play-in game because he had 35 in the game against uh, Portland last year in the solo play-in game and now 35 in this postseason game. Uh, Just an amazing night for him. A career-high five threes made for John Morant. Solid all-around Nate for him. Uh, also had four steals in this game. And so we got to see fourth-quarter jaw and double-figure scoring in two of the four quarters and was uh, outstanding in overtime. So the Grizzlies eliminate the Golden State Warriors, the final in overtime, 117-112. to 112. Grizzlies win despite shooting just 41% from the floor. Grizzlies got the edge at the free-throw line. They attempted six more, and they made six more. And... Here's the other thing. Golden State turnover prone. 21 turnovers for 22 points. And in an elimination game, you don't want to turn it over 21 times, which is exactly what happened to the Golden State Warriors. I know that a lot of people were thinking Golden State was going to move on. The Grizzlies move on to the first round of the NBA playoffs to take on the Utah Jazz. Uh, Grizzlies packed for a three-game road trip. They stayed out west, obviously. They weren't going to come back after that uh, game against Golden State. And so they go to Utah. It is the final game of the first set of games, final game of the weekend, to take on the Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz had been resting. Uh, They had the best record in the NBA, best home record in the NBA at 31-5. and Uh, Look, and then there was a bit of controversy because Donovan Mitchell had missed the last 16 regular season games with a sprained right ankle. And he did not appear on the injury report on Saturday night, the first one that was released for this game. Did not appear on the injury report issued midday on Sunday. He had said in his media availability that he planned on playing. And so the Grizzlies obviously were were going to prepare for him to be in the lineup. Then the word comes out, a Woj bomb, if you will, from Adrian Wojnarowski that, well, sources are telling me he will not play. Apparently what happened is after shoot-around, Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz medical staff met, and the medical staff said, mm, no, we're going to hold you out at least one more game. And so Donovan Mitchell was a, a semi-late scratch to this basketball game. And so Joe Ingles got the start, and – this Grizzlies team in the first quarter, uh, it really, really wasn't very good. It was, uh, it was a rock fight for the Grizzlies. They shot just 8 of 27 in the first quarter, 0 of 8 from 3. They were lucky to be down just 7 because Utah, only 2 of 10 from distance. Utah turned it over 8 times in the first quarter. And even though Utah was plus 9 on the glass, they only led it by 8. 
And the Grizzlies had to feel, okay, look, our defense is holding fairly steady. We are keeping one of the most prolific three-point shooting teams in the league to just two of ten from three. Uh, if we get our offense rolling, I think we'll be in really good shape. Well, the second quarter is when the Grizzlies really did get their offense rolling. Uh, Dylan Brooks putting up a ten-point second quarter. Grizzlies went four of five from three. And meanwhile, Utah Jazz just two of 11 in the second quarter from three, and they struggled offensively. And the Grizzlies forced them into four more turnovers in that second quarter. And the Grizzlies outscoring the Jazz 32 to 19 in the second quarter. They would take a 49 43 lead into the locker room at halftime. Desmond Bain with a late three. Uh, to give him five points, and the Grizzlies felt very, very good going into the locker room because they were now combining their defense with some pretty good offense. And then the third quarter happened, or as we might say, Dylan Brooks happened. Uh, Dilly Dilly, 14 in the third quarter, 7 of 12 from the floor. He was able to get to whatever spot he wanted to get to in that third quarter. Didn't even attempt a three. Very disciplined in his offensive approach in the third quarter. And the other issue here, and this for the Utah Jazz, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley both picked up their fourth personal foul. Neither one of them scored. Mike Conley had 16 first-half points, did not score in that third quarter. But Derek Favors coming in and playing for Rudy Gobert, playing one of his better games of the season, uh, had nine points and ten rebounds through three quarters. And Boyan Bogdanovich, who was held scoreless in the first half, came up with nine in the period. But... Grizzlies get 14 from Dylan Brooks and six more from John Morant. And the Grizzlies uh, feel like they're in pretty decent shape going to that fourth quarter, 83-74. to Now, the issue is you know that the Utah Jazz are going to continue to make threes. You do not expect them to shoot this poorly from three for the rest of the game. Uh, and they would not. Boyan Bogdanovich puts up 20 in the fourth quarter. He goes five of, I beg your pardon, three of five from three and seven of seven from the free throw line. Grizzlies did not have an answer for him and Bogdanovich single-handedly keeping Utah in this basketball game. Gobert would eventually foul out with 11 points and 15 rebounds. Ja Morant, well, we got to see fourth quarter Ja again. Ja with 10 in the fourth quarter to finish with 26. Didn't have an assist in the fourth quarter. Didn't need him because he was calling his own number and for all the right reasons. Grayson Allen also came up with his only points of the game, all five in the fourth quarter. Grizzlies hanging on for dear life, uh, and they get a stop at the very end of this game as Kyle Anderson contests the Bogdanovich three that would have sent the game to overtime. Jazz put up 35 in the fourth quarter. They erase the deficit almost, and the Grizzlies go on, and they win it 112-109. to Grizzlies dominant in the paint. They put 62 on the board in the paint. Grizzlies overcome a 14-point Utah lead early, which matches the largest rally for a win for the Grizzlies this year. They also had a 14-point rally in their victory uh, at the Atlanta Hawks earlier this year. This was an amazing game when you think that Jaron Jackson Jr., who struggled but started, obviously, his first playoff experience, Dylan Brooks, you put up 31 in your first playoff outing. That is incredibly impressive. And John Morant, 26 points, perfect 4-for-4 four four from the free throw line. Big thumbs up for that. Only tried 1-3. Uh, John knew that he could get wherever he wanted to go in this basketball game. Did an amazing job with it. 
Mike Conley finished with a double-double, 22-11, and 11, Gobert, and Favors also with double-doubles. But the issue here is that John Morant pretty much could get wherever he wanted to go. This is a really good Utah Jazz defensive team. Not so much in, in steals. They're not a gambling defensive team. They're a, a more position, more disciplined defensive team. They could not dissuade Dylan Brooks from getting to his sweet spot, nor could they do that for John Morant. So the Grizzlies go in, and they win it. Game one in Utah goes to the Grizzlies 112-109. And that is a very eventful, that was the week that was. Got a few PD's points coming up in a moment, but first, this very important announcement. The Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you today by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. For more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com, and you can follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. They say it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. And this announcement, uh, they are starting a summer league for first through eighth grades. If you'd like some more information on this, you can call Buffy Kersey at 901-604-4385. Or you can email her at hoopcitybc at gmail.com. So we've got a first through eighth grade league coming up this summer. And... uh, The start date on that is June 13th. The end date is June 29th. So, uh, and registration closes on the 21st of June. So uh, get in touch with Buffy if you are interested in getting your uh, young person involved in the Hoop City Basketball Club. All right, let's get to some PD's points. Got a lot of opinions because there's a lot of stuff going on. I know a lot of you remember the last time the Grizzlies were in the playoffs, they were taking on the San Antonio Spurs. And um, David Fisdale was very upset about the lack of calls that the Grizzlies got uh, in San Antonio, which led to the famous or infamous, depending on on how you look at it, uh, take that for data press conference. But there was a phrase that Fiz said during that press conference that resonated with me when I was watching and calling last night's game against the Utah Jazz. And one of the things, and, and Fisdale was referring to the referees, uh, they not going to rook us. Uh, I think the Grizzlies have said to the Utah Jazz, you're not going to rook us, even though this is the first playoff experience for John Morant. It's the first playoff experience for Jaron Jackson Jr. It's the first playoff experience for Dylan Brooks. It's the first playoff experience for Xavier Tillman and Desmond Bain. Jazz not going to rook us. Uh, this has been a very, very tough-minded team. They have been resilient all season long. Uh, they could have hung their heads after coming back and not being able to get over the hump in the season finale against the Golden State Warriors. They did not do that. They came home. Uh, they withstood a furious rally by the San Antonio Spurs. They went at home in front of a raucous crowd. And now you go into Salt Lake City, which is one of the hardest places to play. I have been going to Salt Lake City for over 20 years, I was there with the Pistons. I was there with the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, really some knockdown, dragout playoff series between uh, the Portland Trailblazers and the Utah Jazz. It is a loud crowd. Uh, a lot of people will tell you it is one of the more profane crowds in the NBA. It is a tough, tough environment. And the Grizzlies simply said, 
we don't care. We, we know that we're rookies. We know that you have the best record in the NBA, the best home record in the NBA, and we don't care. You're not going to rook us. And I think a great credit to the Grizzlies' mental fortitude that you know they, they go down early, and they could have easily folded, said, okay, all the emotion from the Golden State game has drained us. We are tired. We have not had multiple days off in forever. Uh, it would have been completely understandable if the Grizzlies had kind of folded their tents and they refused to do that. And I think that's going to be a theme throughout uh, this particular playoff series. So I think Petey's point number one, they're not going to rook us. Number two, part of that is the Jazz, I don't know if this was a conscious decision on their part. Maybe it was to be more physical, uh, to give some hard fouls, one of which was a flagrant foul. If they thought that they were going to knock the Grizzlies off their, off their mental game uh, by being tough and physical with them, clearly it did not work. I was not real happy to see that Jazz players who were not involved in the game, and in the case of Donovan Mitchell, not even active for the game, getting active on the sidelines with players who are on the floor. Uh, we saw the Rudy Gobert uh, standing on the baseline after he had fouled out. Kyle Anderson goes through. He's fouled, and uh, Rudy encroaches on his space, and, and Kyle gives him a little shove just to get away from me, and then Rudy uh, does a soccer flop. I mean, look, this, this is kind of ridiculous, um, and I would hope that NBA security would look at where players are. Uh, there are no photographers on the baseline. A lot of jazz players roaming fairly close to the playing surface. That's not the way that this should be handled. Uh, and hopefully NBA security will take a look at this because it's really not the way this is, is supposed to roll. Uh, the jazz can be as physical as they want to be. I think the Grizzlies would welcome that. Uh, this is going to be a tough series. It's going to be a nasty series. I think that this could be uh, the start of a rivalry uh, between these two franchises, depending on how this playoff series go uh, goes. I, I think that is certainly uh, possible uh, in this series, which leads me to PD's point number three, which is the evolution of Dylan Brooks. Uh, Dylan Brooks embraces physicality. He embraces uh, toughness. He embraces being the villain. He embraces all of this. Um, and Taylor Jenkins saying that, that Dylan Brooks is our spirit leader. And part of that is simply because, well, number one, Dylan plays with an edge. We all know that. The other piece of this is that Dylan Brooks is the hardest worker on the team. You talk to any of the assistant coaches, and they will tell you that Dylan Brooks works harder than anybody else on maintaining his body. He works harder than anybody else on his game. He works harder than anybody else when it comes to video study. And the proof is in the results. I, I mean, we we came to know, as, as Grizzlies fans and observers, we came to know Dylan Brooks as being a bit of a wild card. You could get good Dylan, you could get bad Dylan, and you didn't know which one you were going to get. Good Dylan, great defensively, disciplined shot maker, score. Bad Dylan, undisciplined defensively, too aggressive defensively, foul trouble Dylan, questionable shot selection Dylan I mean that that was bad Dylan you don't get that anymore and he has worked very very hard with assistant coach Brad Jones on trying to become a more efficient and more disciplined scorer and one of the things that Dylan said in his post-game media availability after game one is I was gained getting to my spots he was able to get where he wanted to go Dylan knows the shots that he can make some of them look very very awkward to us observers but to him 
It's in his wheelhouse, and he was able to get to the spaces he wanted to get to, to get to the shots he wanted to get to, to the moves he wanted to get to, and the shot selection was so much better. You know, I talked about his big third quarter and the fact that he didn't even attempt a three. That's not the Dylan Brooks from two years ago. Dylan Brooks from a couple of years ago is probably pulling up from three and trying to go for a kill shot in the third quarter. Uh, but that's not the way he plays. He plays much more disciplined now. And I think that this is an opportunity for him on the national stage to really show people uh, how good he is. And it was kind of interesting that uh, we found out that the TNT crew, some of them were not aware that he was from Canada. Uh, so come on. You know, do, do, as, as Sherlock Holmes said, do your research. Uh, Petey's point number four, uh, the relentless positivity of Taylor Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins has always been very, very good in terms of positive messaging and consistent messaging. Very, very important for a coach or any leader, not only to be positive, but to be consistently positive. And that is what you get from Taylor Jenkins. And I think that's very important for this young basketball team that he does that. Some local media members have, have kind of scoffed when he says we're trending in the right direction, especially when things go south. That's the message that you have to give to this basketball team. Uh, some of it is reassurance. Some of it is reaffirmation. Some of it is motivational. But if as a coach you vacillate between, hey, we're really, really good and, well, not, we're really not very good right now, your, your, your players are going to pick up on the inconsistency. And they're going to be wondering, which is it? Are, are we good? Are we not good? What's going on here? And I think that the fact that Taylor Jenkins has been so consistent with his messaging in addition to being consistently positive about his messaging, I think that has been a huge, huge impact for this Grizzlies team. This is, by average age, the third youngest team in the NBA. They're the only one of the five or six youngest teams in the NBA that are in the playoffs. You have to go back almost 10 years uh, to find a team younger than this group in the NBA playoffs. And clearly, like I said earlier, they're not going to rook us. So what's ahead for game two? And that'll wrap up uh, this edition of Petey's Points. I think, number one, you have to expect that Donovan Mitchell is going to be back. That is, that is I, I can't imagine Donovan Mitchell not being back. Uh, I don't know what the Utah Jazz medical staff, why they held him back, but they did in game one. I expect him to be back on game two, which will be Wednesday night, by the way. Nine o'clock tip on Valley Sports Southeast. Grizzlies Live presented by Ford New Mid-South Ford Dealers at 8.30. Number two, I do not expect Utah to shoot as poorly as they did in game one. Now, the other thing, too, for the Grizzlies is do not settle for a split. It's interesting when, when you talk and analyze seven-game series, you always say, well, can you steal one at home, uh, steal one on the road? Uh, can you get a split on the road and then shift home court advantage back to your place? I don't think that you want to like, well, we got a split. That's okay. You can say that if you lose game two, but you don't want to say that going into game two, going into game two, you want to get greedy, get game two. And, and now you put the Utah jazz in a very, very perilous position because they would be down. Oh, two coming to Memphis, which also can be a very loud and raucous crowd. And I'm sure will be because we're probably have about 10,000 fans in the building. You got to put the pressure on Utah. Utah is the favorite. And, just by virtue of winning game one at Utah as an eighth seed, all of a sudden, the memories and the echoes of 2011 are starting to be heard. Hey, remember Mike Conley's first trip to the playoffs 
the Grizzlies knocked off the number one San Antonio Spurs. It's John Morant's first trip to the playoffs. Is history going to repeat itself? Once those rumblings become a little bit louder, now the pressure is really on the Utah Jazz. They were favored. Nobody, and I mean nobody, picked the Grizzlies to win this series. They may not win the series, but how hard can you make it on the Utah Jazz? How much pressure can you put on them to deliver in the clutch? And that's why the Grizzlies have to go into game two with the mindset, we're not looking for a split. You're looking to go home 2-0. You know, and then you come home and you handle your business and, and see where you go from there. So if you're the Grizzlies, I think the big thing is that you have to get greedy in game two on Wednesday night. At the same time, understanding Donovan Mitchell will probably be back. Donovan Mitchell will come out firing. And this Utah Jazz team, they didn't put together the best record in the NBA uh, just on a whim. They are really, really a good basketball team. They looked a little rusty, frankly. Um, after the ball game, Quinn Snyder said, look, our execution wasn't very good. And so I think that there maybe was a little rust, and maybe the Grizzlies were in a little bit better rhythm. And so that's why they won game one. All right, that's enough of me blathering on with Petey's points. Uh, let's go to the people who actually were involved in the game, and let's get some post-game podium sound as we wrap up this edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. First, here's Taylor Jenkins with his overview of the game one win against the Jazz. Uh, you know, really proud of uh, the effort. Uh, I think we definitely attacked the game with great aggression, especially there, you know, that first quarter, um, you know, we didn't have some shots fall. Uh, our guys stayed the course. I thought we were attacking. I think we were 0 for 8 at one point from the three-point line, um, you know, but we just kept staying the course. Our defense was good, you know, holding them to 24, you know, not making shots, the open shots, the finishes. We had so many finishes at the rim. Uh, we didn't let our guard down defensively. You know, we only uh, gave up 24 there. and Broke open there in that uh, second and third quarter. That was huge for us, got our, uh, our win. I mean, this is a hard team to go against. I mean, what a competitive game, physical game, active game. Uh, I thought we had great attention to detail. Um, on both sides of the floor, you know, obviously we'll go back and watch the film and see what we can improve. And, you know, I, I don't think they're going to shoot 12 for 47 again from the three point line, but I thought we did a pretty good job, uh, getting out and contesting to make some of those shots tough. Uh, definitely some open ones that, you know, we got to take away, uh, move forward. Uh, I got to improve on, on the fouling. Um, but I thought we did a really good job, uh, even though we got, gave up 12 offensive rebounds. I mean, they're one of the top offensive rebounding teams in the league. Uh, we did a heck of a job with 50-50 balls, and that's what you need this time of year. So that aggressive mentality uh, was there from the start of the game. And, and, and uh, to your, your point about the end of the game, just, you know, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, just the execution we got to have, being on the same page. Uh, you know, this crowd gets going. Um, everyone understood what we wanted to do specifically defensively, specifically offensively, and uh, it paid off. Here, Taylor Jenkins talks about the impact of Dylan Brooks' game in game one. He's an ultimate competitor. I've said it all the time. Uh, he loves these moments. Uh, he prepares for these moments mentally, physically. Uh, he's got the ultimate heart of a competitor and uh, so proud of him. Um, obviously, having the you know a huge outburst uh, you know tonight, especially in that third quarter, uh, you know, I know he'll credit his teammates just finding him and having confidence in him. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of tough covers for him, you know, ball handlers, guys coming off the of screens and to be able to have that productivity uh, on the offensive end, given all that he gives on the defensive end uh, is, is huge. And, uh, you know, I'm very, very proud of him. Finally, Taylor Jenkins talks about the emotional impact of having one of his players go off for a big quarter. I mean, it's huge motivating. Um, but I think, you know, you look anyone on our roster, 
uh, goes on a heater, you know, uh, DB obviously tonight, uh, Ja gets going, JV gets going, JJ gets going, someone off our bench gets going. Um, and it's because teammates are finding them and they're in a groove. Uh, you just feel it on the court, um, you know, and then you just absolutely feel it on the bench. Everyone's just hooting and hollering, cheering, um, motivating. Uh, we feed off that energy. Obviously, you know, those are, those are the runs that you hope for. Um, but their teammates are doing it. They're setting that up for that individual that's having that outburst. And then it just feeds every guy that's on the bench, you know, whoever's out of the game when they come back in, they know the tone that's been set um, and how they got to keep being aggressive. Now here's John Moran talking about his first playoff experience and how hard it was to play on the road in Utah. Uh, as far as with me, you know, I'm treated like, you know, uh, another game. Uh, it's no reason, you know, to, you know, put any more pressure, you know, on me or my team. Uh, I felt like, you know, most of the pressure is, you know, on them being the number one seed. Uh, you know, we earn, you know, our spot in this, you know, playoffs. So we just go out and continue to play with the confidence we have and, you know, take each game like we, we did all season. Man, they have a, you know, very tough fan base. Uh, you know, they was loud, rooting for them. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we was trying to, you know, call stuff or, you know, talking, you know, it was tough to, you know, hear. So, um I know, you know, they're happy they have that fan base, you know, behind them. But as far as for us, you know, being able to come out and get a win, you know, on the road on the first game uh, in that environment is, you know, big time for us. And, you know, we can't wait till we, we go back to Memphis so, you know, we can, you know, return the favor, you know, with our fans. Kyle Anderson also met the media and afterwards was asked, did he think that the Jazz took the Grizzlies lightly? No, I don't think they took us lightly or, you know, they're mm -hmm. the one seed for a reason. I, I don't think that was the case at all. They came out and played hard. They're obviously down one of their best players. And, uh, you know, we went out and won the ball game. I don't I don't think they took us light or anything. Um, you know, they threw some punches. We threw some punches. We ended up winning the game. Kyle also set a new career high with six steals. That is also a new Grizzlies postseason record for steals in a single game. Just uh, just tried to watch a lot of film on these guys. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of figured out um, or tried to figure out what they all like to do. So when I would have a certain matchup, I just, you know, watched what he did these last six weeks of the season and uh, his strong points. And, I, you know, I just wouldn't – they happened to make those type of moves out there, and I waited on it, and I was ready to, you know, do what I had to do. So the Grizzlies did what they had to do. They went into Salt Lake City and came away with a game one win. Game two comes up Wednesday night. Tip time is 9 o'clock Central time, and you can catch all the action – on Bally Sports Southeast, starting at 8.30 with Grizzlies Live, presented by Ford and your Mid-South Ford dealers. Grizzlies try to get greedy and take both games in Salt Lake City. We'll see how the, all that plays out. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. This has been Episode 40, where we ask if there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? Now, if that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so don't delay join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message is brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years and a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. Framing consultations done by appointment at 901-685-7796. Our thanks to Garner Framing. Also, our thanks to the Hoop City Basketball Club and, of course, DraftKings for their support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. This has been Episode 40 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening. More playoff basketball to come, and you can find out more about it right here on the Grizz Weekly Grind. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.